Hey, this is Chris Hornbrook from Poison and Well, and you are listening to The New Scene. Hello, everybody, and welcome to The New Scene. I am your host, Keith, and we're back with another brand new episode. And in the guest host chair today, I've got Dave Bushmeyer back on the show. Dave, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Yes, Dave, it's been a long time. Do you realize, Dave, the last time you were on the show was September 2021? <laughs> yeah, I think I think we were talking about the uh, when I was when I had the spread the disease record coming out or something. I can't I can't remember what we talked about off the top of my head, but yeah, it was it was a couple years ago now. Yeah, uh, Omen Ostra was just starting you were just starting to put that together and maybe record some demos there was some spread the disease stuff going on the new scene didn't even exist yet it was still the northeast scene that feels like ages ago at this point oh my god yeah actually you know what was really funny is uh of course i follow you on all of the socials and i noticed that it changed names but at first i was confused i was like oh what's new scene i thought it was the northeast uh podcast uh, you know confused me but yeah so yeah some people who had followed the northeast scene they would see the new scene in their feed and they're like what the hell is this and then eventually they realized it was me <laughs> <laughs> i mean you instantly know because your voice is so uh definitive like you can't it's definitely the same podcast i'm i'm glad to hear that i'm glad to hear that does that ever happen to you on like on instagram sometimes someone will change their name and I'll be like, who the hell is this? Why am I following this? And, I'll, and I'm like, oh, it's this person. Never mind. Uh, it's happened a couple times. And I'm like, okay, I, I, I don't remember following this person, but okay, whatever. But their content looks cool, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, Dave, it's great to have you here. And we've got a great episode for you, everybody. We've got Jake Collinson of Judiciary. And if you haven't heard of Judiciary, you must be living in a place where music does not get to you very easily. Or, uh, you know, there's just not a lot going on because Judiciary have been doing it and doing it well for a long time now. And this conversation with Jake, the front man, is fantastic. It is. I didn't realize Judiciary got started. What was it? Around 2014, Dave, uh, he said? I think so. Yeah. Or th 2013, 14, somewhere around there. Like quite a while ago for a hardcore band. Come on. Yeah. And because I first discovered them in 2018, when Axis of Equality, that EP came out, and, you know, it's exciting to have Jake on the show this week. We talk about everything, his origins in Texas, the beginning of Judiciary, their whole story. We do a deep dive on their new LP, Flesh and Blood. We cover everything. Tell them, Dave, tell them how excited they are going to be when they hear this conversation. <laughs> First of all, I love when the up and coming uh, people are doing things that I only dream I was doing when I was young. Um, they're doing a really great crossover between uh, sort of a metal and hardcore, and I wouldn't even call it metalcore, but it's a, it's a great crossover that actually quite exciting, reminds me of the original crossover the original crossover in New York City, you know? Yeah, you know, when I think metalcore in modern times, I think of that ultra-polished 
uh, really chuggy stuff, and maybe there's a chorus that's sung, but the vocals and the verses are screamed, you know, like that kind of stuff. But Judiciary does it a little different. It's a little thrashy, you know, the the metallic. It's not like your traditional metalcore. I really like what they're doing. I uh, absolutely agreed. Um, most metalcore is, uh, you know, real, not really my bag, but this is great. I really like this band a lot. So that conversation is coming up shortly. But first, here's how you can support the new scene. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at New Scene Pod. Shirts. We've got shirts for sale at Deathwish Inc. Go to their store and search the new scene. We've got a long sleeve option. We've got a fine selection of short sleeve options. It's summertime now. It's getting warmer out there. Treat yourself. And it's a great way to support the show. And reviews. Give us five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And did you know you can write a review on Apple Podcasts? If you write a nice review, I'll read it on the air. Reach out. Let us know how we're doing. Also, don't forget to support Iodine Recordings. Quicksand. Slip. The 30th anniversary tour is coming to a city near you starting in October. Tickets are on sale now. And those are going to go quick because, for God's sake, it's Quicksand playing slip. Gotta go see that. Tickets are on sale now, so get them while they last. Also, don't forget to pick up the Quicksand Deluxe hardcover book. There's still some available, and once it's gone, it's gone for good. It's a beautiful hardcover book detailing the life of the band from 1990 to 1994, with a foreword by Walter Schreifels himself, and commentary from so many classic bands like Thrice, Snapcase, Cave-In, Thursday, and many more. Jerome's Dream have European tour dates kicking off July 18th in Germany. For a full list of those dates, head to Jerome's Dream Forever on Instagram. Sign up for the Iodine email list. You'll find out about everything first. For more information, head to the Iodine Instagram at Iodine Recordings or to the Iodine website at iodinerecordings.com. Also, don't forget to support this month's sponsor, Death Wish Inc. That's right, the wonderful, the classic, the legendary Death Wish Inc. Greet Death have Midwest tour dates that are continuing this week. Go see them if they're coming to a city near you because they are the best band I have ever heard. That's right, I'm not lying to you. Loma Prieta, last. It's finally out this Friday, June 30th. Pre-order the record if you haven't gotten it. I can't wait to hear the whole thing. Mad Honey, Satellite Aphrodite will be in stores worldwide on September 22nd. And that's coming to you from Deathwish Inc. and Sunday Drive Records. You can hear the single Fold right now on all streaming services. For more information, head to the Deathwish Instagram at Deathwish Inc. or to the Deathwish website at deathwishinc.com. Okay. So Dave, let's talk music recommendations. What are you listening to lately? It doesn't have to be hardcore. It doesn't have to be heavy. It doesn't even have to be part of our greater scene. I want to know everything you're up to. Lay it on us. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I actually don't even really listen to a lot of hardcore per se. So I, I enjoy writing it. I enjoy making it. I enjoy being involved, but I mostly just listen to jazz just a lot of jazz and a lot of uh, avant-garde classical music. So I don't know why that seems to fit with me and 
and also play heavy music, but it just, those two things sort of seem to really uh, gel in my mind. So a lot of Steve Reich, you know, Steve Reich. No, um, you know, basic 1970s, 1980s, uh, avant-garde composer did a lot of, um, a lot of music with, uh, percussion. So different, uh, polyrhythms in percussion. Um, and Philip Glass, of course, Philip Glass has done a million soundtracks to movies. Um, but yeah, but regular, I mean, you know, it's normal music. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I would say the new VNV Nation, you know, VNV Nation is like, um, sort of, um, a synth. Um, I don't know how you describe that band. They're, they're definitely an electronic band, but it's sort of like it reminds me of Depeche Mode, but for, for but for goths, yeah, it's great. I like the sound of that. <laughs> yes, I love it. The new one's awesome, and of course, I've been diving back into Depeche Mode a lot more. Um, actually, about a year ago, I was reminded that uh, that you know when I was a young punk kid in the late '80s and early '90s with a mohawk, I I really despised <laughs> Depeche Mode. <laughs> Uh, you know, I just thought they were wimpy or something, I guess, whatever young people think, but, um, uh, just, uh, I was reminded of it. And so I did a deep dive and started listening to Depeche Mode, the entire catalog. And I was like, oh my God, this band is incredible. And I kind of already knew that, you know, t- even 20 years ago, but I never really put in the effort to dive into them in a, in a big ways. But now I listen to them like almost every day. I love it. Yeah. They have a new record out this year. That's great. And they have punk origins too. I know David, the singer has talked about how he's into the punk legends and everything. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, you can, you can kind of tell there's a dark, there's sort of like, even the way he sings, there's a bit of a darkness or sort of a, um, yeah, just sort of a darkness to it. You, you can tell that he's not coming from a, a, a super uh, popular music kind of place, for sure. Not at all. Oh, speaking of jazz, Dexter Gordon, are you a fan? Um, have not done a dive on Dexter Gordon. Check out the album Our Man in Paris. Well, I love it. I am definitely going to do that. I'm actually writing that down now. (laughs) Anytime anyone tells me uh, anything about jazz, I'm like, oh, okay, well, I'm definitely checking that out. Yeah, that that's the album. I don't listen to a ton of jazz, but that's one album I go back to. That that guy is great. Excellent. Thank you. Of course. And as far as what I'm listening to, let's see. You know what? Nothing new that I haven't mentioned on the show already. Uh, Jerome's Dream, The Gray in Between. That's one of my favorite records of the year. Spotlights, Alchemy for the Dead. I just got off a little tour with them. They're really good. I've been listening to Author and Punisher. I just had him on the show, Crawler, their last album. I'm really digging that. So I'm just kind of, you know, basically everything that's been on the show lately and a few other things, that's what I'm listening to. Oh, nice. Hey, uh, speaking of more hardcore stuff, have you listened to Atomic Clock by Hourglass? No. Oh man, it's uh, it's like it's like if old Hourglass, like you know, New Day Rising did a split with Hourglass, so I sort of have paid attention to those guys to see what they're doing in their reunion, and it's like if Hourglass uh sort of made a record with members of. Oh, I don't know, like um, Rocket from the Crypt, or 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 even the Dead Kennedys. There's sort of like a like a, a really cool angular vibe to the new album that I really like a lot. It's great. I gotta check that out. Oh, and uh, one more that I've mentioned already: Incendiary. Change the way you think about pain. Excellent, excellent stuff. You know what? I have seen people post about that, and that's another one I gotta dive into for sure. Yeah, it's you will not be disappointed. Trust me. All right. 
So there you go. There's a bunch of stuff for all of you to check out and for me to check out too, Dave. See, my uh, when I like when people mention bands I haven't heard because when I go through and edit the show, I jump on YouTube and listen to everything, and it's just a great way to find new artists to listen to. You know what? It's uh, it, it it's sort of goes by the same maxim, like it, like how you you end up in the world is sort of basically based on who you know. And so the same thing happens with music. Um, you end up liking a lot of stuff based on what other people like, you know, like, Oh, you should really check it out. And you're like, Oh, okay. I'm going to check it out. Like, great. I mean, that's how I ended up liking jazz to begin with. All right. So listen, check back in with me and Dave after the interview with Jake, we're going to catch up. We're going to talk about everything Dave is up to. Omen Ostra just put out an excellent EP the end of everything. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about everything Dave is up to. But right now, we are going to speak to Jake Collinson of Judiciary. Enjoy. Right. We are here now with Jake Collinson. Jake, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, man. I'm really excited to do this with you. Yes, Jake, it's wonderful to have you here. You know, Judiciary is having an exciting time right now. We just put out an excellent new album, Flesh and Blood. We've got some tour dates coming up in May and this summer. All kinds of exciting stuff is going on, Jake. And you know what? We're going to cover all of that. But first, I want to ask you, how are you doing? today today i'm doing pretty good it's kind of been a a, hept, a hectic day um i told you before we went live i kind of had to rush home um but overall i'm good man life is uh life is pretty exciting and i have a lot of stuff to look forward to so today i'm doing pretty well that's awesome so what do you do for your job uh so i work a uh, sales job um for a industrial company um so not the most exciting thing but um, I get to talk to a bunch of people at work. I get to, uh, you know, sell them some good stuff. So it's not right, Jeff. Pays pays my bills and everything. So can't complain. That's great. Yeah, I'm sort of sales. I'm a solution analyst. So I partner with sales to sell whatever it is that we're selling to that particular client. So uh, it's it's a great middle ground because, you know, I don't have to like be on site wearing a suit all the time necessarily. I don't have to do the lunches and all the schmoozing. I leave that to you guys. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I, you know, if I had it, my choice, I think I would be, uh, a little bit less involved, but I do like kind of 
being in the front lines, and I figured out I'm pretty good at it. So I, I that's that's kind of how I landed there. What's the vibe? Do you have to wear a suit? Is there a lot of lunches? Is it more laid back? Uh, so it's pretty laid back. I'm actually um pretty pretty much virtual, um, but I do have to get on the occasional call to, you know, kind of close some bigger things with my clients and everything like that. I oversee about 300 uh clients throughout the year so yeah it's a it's a busy job but it's pretty casual i can't really complain about it too much 300 clients yeah yeah i oversee about 300 accounts that i have to keep track of so so you must do pretty well uh i do all right it it pays pretty decent um not the best that you can do at my company but um, there's some growth opportunities there. So we'll see where I land in the next few years. I like that. Yeah. I'm i I'm in a newer role that I've been in for a little over a year now and I'm getting those commission dollars now when a sale happens. So beautiful. I'm loving that. That's beautiful. I love a good commission. I love surpassing goals. I love making money. So it's the best. Does your company do any kind of special thing? If you hit a sales goal, like at my company, they fly everyone to this resort in Mexico if you hit a certain threshold. And I did it for the first time, but I turned down the trip because I'm single and I don't drink. And I just thought it would be really awkward if I went. <laughs> uh, yeah. So they, they do that for like the the top, top performers in the company. Um, I got close uh, the first half of last year. And then in the second half, I I, I kind of fell off the the, the the leaderboard a little bit um but yeah they do take like the top top people um from each year out to a big vacation fly them and like a, a guest out so but other than that like month to month um they kind of put a it's it's an uncapped commission structure um so you can make some good money if you do well with your customers but i have a good base so i don't really have to worry too much about um you know, depending on commission too much. That's good. That's good. So what's your set? You're living in Texas? Yep. I live in uh, San Antonio, Texas right now. Oh, nice. What's your setup down there? Are you married, girlfriend, living by yourself? What's the story? I have a girlfriend. I'm, I actually moved uh, to San Antonio from Lubbock because of her. Um, she is going to grad school right now for a PhD in neuroscience. Um, so she is kind of locked in here for the next few years, and I wanted to get out of Lubbock. So it was kind of a perfect storm. Um, so I've lived here since July of 2020, just me, uh, her, and my dog. So it's been it's been nice. I love it here. Nice. Better than Lubbock? A lot better than Lubbock <laughs> uh, for, <laughs> for a few reasons. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it's a lot better than Lubbock. It's, it feels like I'm in civilization. The wind's not blowing at 60 miles an hour and I'm not getting dirt in my mouth um, <laughs> anytime I step outside. So I, I like it down here a lot, man. I don't know Texas geography well at all. I always say this on the show when someone from Texas is on, but I don't know anything about Lubbock, but it, it just sounds like a small town based on the name. You know, I'm imagining like the gas station scene from No Country for for Old Men. So uh, the the town I actually grew up just outside of Lubbock. That's the gas station scene from No Country for Old Men. Um, it was called it's it's the little town called New Deal, population 700. Um, wow. Yeah. Um, but uh, Lubbock is like a medium sized city. Um, there's about the population says it's like a quarter million people, but that kind of like ebbs and flows because Texas Tech University is there. Um, so the population goes up during school time, goes down during summer holidays, everything like that. Um, so it's it's not a it's not a huge place, but it's definitely 
not like tiny by any means, um, but it's pretty isolated. Like it's six hours away from any of the major cities. Um, so yeah, it's pretty, pretty far up there. It's right in the middle of uh, the panhandle, like the big rectangle up top. So talk about growing up there. How do you get introduced to music shows, hardcore punk rock, whatever it is? Um, so I always kind of like to say that it was a, uh, it was a pretty slow build for me. Like I just kind of, cr- instead of falling down the rabbit hole, I kind of crawled my way down. Um, so basically growing up, um, both of my parents are big fans of music in general. Um, my dad is kind of an all encompassing music fan. Like I remember sitting in his truck and listening to a bunch of like um, of the time and like classic rock. Like he really liked like Steve Ray Vaughan, um, you know, like the, the hair metal of like the Twisted Sisters, the Death Leopards of the world. Um, I remember listening to a bunch of Ozzy in his truck. Um, but he also like, I remember vividly listening to like Marvin Gaye um, in his truck. Like he would, I would basically just hang out with him and run errands with him all weekend if you couldn't tell. Um, but uh, yeah, he kind of listened to everything. And then my mom, um, she was more of like the pop like kind of like that, that was her thing. Um, she loved like Michael Jackson, Prince, um, anything like that. And I also grew up in, uh, my mother's Hispanic. So I grew up listening to a bunch of like Tejano and, um, stuff like that at my, uh, at my aunts and uncles houses when we would go over there on the weekend. So, um, music was always kind of around, but as far as like getting into like metal and punk and hardcore, it was like kind of my dad introducing to me, it to me when I was young through like Ozzy and stuff like that. Um, but then when I got in the middle school, that's when I kind of gravitated towards like heavier stuff. Um, I found Slipknot through a, a friend of mine that I used to hang out with when I was young. Like, um, and that was kind of like the game changer for me. That was like a huge paradigm shift that kind of um, evolved my taste into like looking for the more aggressive thing. So yeah, that was that was the big one right there. So what, I'm guessing that's what around 2001, 2002. No, so I when when I found Slipknot, I was probably in sixth or seventh grade. I'm 27 years old, so I was. Mm, I would guess that was probably around like 2007 ah, or so. Okay, yeah, 2006, 2007 was probably when I when I found Slipknot. Yeah, you're still young. Yeah, <laughs> everybody <laughs> thinks I'm a little older than I actually am. So I didn't start to kind of feel. I don't really feel old most of the time, but I'm 41 now, and you know, only now have I sometimes begun to start to feel old. Like you sleep wrong and your back hurts, and I, you know, my eyesight is bad now. I have glasses, so but but that's all recent developments. No, I feel you. I mean, I'm 27, but like the the hardcore scene in San Antonio skews pretty young. So like seeing them like kind of start new bands and seeing them kind of like, and they're, they're not even that like young, like they're like early or late, late teens, early twenties, but it makes me feel ancient at the same time. It's crazy. Hardcore is also (laughs) like a fast moving age place too. So, so you, so you're into Slipknot that introduces you to heavier music. How do you discover hardcore you know, was there bands or shows that had an impression on you? Tell us about that. Yeah. So, um, like I said, I always like to say that I, you know, I kind of crawled down the rabbit hole. I didn't fall. Um, so like from Slipknot, I kind of found um, like deathcore and metalcore of the time from there. So like the Suicide Silences, White Chapels of the World when I was in like my freshman year of of high school. Um, and that was my thing. I just loved like heavy stuff. I loved breakdowns. I loved things that sounded crazy. Um, 
So uh, from there, I kind of got into um, some hardcore because of a friend I have who, um, or two guys that that were from Lubbock that used to go to the deathcore shows. Um, they got into hardcore before me. One of them uh, is actually this guy named Elijah. He's in a band called Future Shock from San Antonio. It's really good. But we we basically grew up together in Lubbock going to shows. Um, and basically I would kind of catch wind of bands through them. Um, I remember one time going to a show and I got into one of their cars, um, and they played, uh, climate of fear from bitter end. And that was like my first, like, aha. Oh my God. This is, this is really cool moment. Um, before that I had actually, (laughs) I accidentally bought keepers of the faith from terror, probably like six months before that. And, uh, when I got it, I just I bought it because I, I I thought the album art was cool. I thought the band name was cool. My mom basically used to drop me off at the mall, and I would go into like Fye and Hot Topic, and just um, they had little CD players and kiosks where you can listen to the music before you buy it. So I would just kind of like hang out in there and test out CDs, see if I like something. That day, I didn't even listen to Terror. I just thought it was cool. I grabbed the CD and uh, took it home. And when I when I listened to it, I honestly didn't get it at first. Um, but then when I, when I heard bitter end, it kind of made me revisit the terror CD and, um, that made me kind of fall in love with hardcore from there. Like, because, um, Lubbock isn't a big city for hardcore. Obviously, like I said, it's very isolated six hours away from all the major cities. So we didn't get many hardcore shows, um, in Lubbock. So I was kind of a product of the internet. So I was looking up like, this is hardcore videos, sound and fury videos, um and finding bands like trapped under ice like backtrack um you know bands of that time that were just crushing um so that was you know how i how i kind of fell into hardcore was like just kind of easing my way through heavy music and then eventually finding it um and then just falling down that rabbit hole even more so yeah what was it about bitter end that kind of sold you on this as opposed to when you were listening to terror for the first time i think it's just one of those, they just had that part that hooks you. Um, so obviously at the beginning of Climate of Fear, uh, it's the intro track, Panic. Um, and when you hear that sample, it builds up, it builds up, it builds up. And then when you hear like, there is panic on the streets, and then it hits into that. Like, I was so hungry for heavy breakdowns and heavy riffs and everything like that. And that was such like a different, like heavy riff that I had never heard before. Um, because I was just so used to the regular like metalcore or deathcore breakdown where it's just chun chun, chun chun, like that kind of thing. Yeah. And that kind of just grabbed me. And then with Daniel's voice, like I felt like I could hear every word he was saying and like, but it still sounded super, super angry. Like it was just so it was odd to me, but I knew that I was like I was hooked by it. And then with that context of hearing that panic breakdown riff, I can go to keepers of the faith and apply that to like the stick tight breakdown. And I'm like, Oh, okay. I get it now. Kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's just interesting. What grabs people? Like when I first got into this, I didn't really like the hardcore and the metal core stuff too much. It was just too much. It was like too aggressive. But then my friend, I heard a programmed behind the cave in song from their, their first record. And there's this like this melodic singing part in it. And then that grabbed me. And I was like, oh, like this can be melodic sometimes too. You know, maybe I can get into this. 
And then, you know, from there, it was just a uh, Actually, after that, I got into like Dillinger Escape Plan, which is weird because that's the craziest music ever. So <laughs> yeah, you just, you just never know. It's funny how that works, huh? I I, yeah. um, I also had a few of those bands too that like kind of bridge those gaps, like from like what I liked about Deathcore. So like Shabalba, like the cold music video from Shabalba, like that. I was like, this is just like grimier like stuff that I'm listening to already. Like I love this, and then like Harm's Way Isolation came around that time. And like that record was a perfect bridge to take me even further down. Um, so there's a bunch of bands like that, that like, and I was kind of on the melodic kick too. Like, obviously I, I found out about hardcore, like kind of right or got into hardcore, like right after half heart ended. But before that I was super into like the metalcore that was hot at the time, like, like the hundredth and counterparts of like the, that kind of melodic metalcore. And so have heart like scratch that itch and brought me over to hardcore as well. So there was a bunch of bands at the time that were just perfect bridges for me, honestly. And you said uh, you're a child of the internet. So I'm guessing streaming is a thing and YouTube is a thing, a heavily a thing. So you can just kind of easily check out whatever you want to. Yeah. And, like I, I kind of found out through of, or I found out about a bunch of hardcore bands through a few different mediums. Like I said, like looking up like videos from sound and fury was super big for me. I always thought that that fest was like the coolest thing ever. Um, and then also uh, I used to use like last.fm um, on the Xbox 360. Cause obviously I was like 14 or 15 when I found out about <laughs> this, uh, the Xbox 360 used to have a feature where you could have last FM play on your TV and it was really good about like recommending st- like it had a pretty solid solid algorithm at the time to recommend stuff that you would like and so i would put on like backtrack radio and i would find bands from there um and that was like a big thing for me as well so yeah streaming definitely helped a lot yeah that must be great because you know when i'm younger it's still cd's and there's no listening booth like later on at hot topic they had listening booths but it, the cd's they usually had in there was like bigger stuff you heard anyway like lamb of god it's like we know what lamb of god sounds like but you know you had to take a chance on buying a cd and i didn't have a lot of money so it was always a gamble yeah well and that was what like I still kind of like in a way, uh, even though I had like the resources available to me to just be like a pure product of the internet, I still wanted like physical copies of stuff. Like, like I said, that's how I came across terror. Um, you know, I wanted to buy CDs. I wanted to find them. I was looking in the liner notes to see like what bands were thanked. That way I could like plug them into my last FM and see what would come out of it. Um, so yeah, I I, I kind of came in on the on the tail end of of that, but I appreciate finding bands organically like that a lot, honestly. Yeah, you know, uh, we know Spotify is a bad company in a lot of ways, but I have to say the radio is good. When I, you know, that's how I discover a lot of new bands. If I'm on a long drive, which doesn't happen often, I'll just let the Spotify radio run, and I I can find a lot of good stuff that way. Oh yeah, same. I I. Uh... I do this thing where I build out playlists for my girlfriend like every month or so. Whenever I have 20 songs, it's basically my rule that I think of stuff she would like. So I, that's basically all a product of just radio. And I found out I found so much new music just through uh, radio and curated playlists and everything like that. Would love it if they paid everybody more, but I do like the the concept and the and the platform a lot. Yeah, we've got the platform down. We've got the radio down. Now we just need to get down 
actually paying bands. Exactly. Spotify, get your shit together. Jesus. Yeah, come on. What are we doing? (laughs) So how do you start performing? When do you start performing? So I kind of backtrack a little bit. I I started my first band with uh, basically it was it was the kid that showed me Slipknot and a few of our other friends um, when I was in it was like the summer before my eighth grade year we started that band. Um, and it oh, was that young. Yeah, yeah. We he basically lived because Lubbock's surrounded by cotton fields. He lived like out in the country, surrounded by cotton fields. His parents had this shop. Um, and his brother was in a pop punk band. So we would borrow his band's gear. Thank you, Matt, uh, to try <laughs> to write music. And um, basically we, we started it. Then we probably, I think we played our first show when I was a freshman in high school. So it was just a, it was a metalcore band that was of the time. Um, it, you know, we played some shows here or there around Lubbock, around West Texas. And then it kind of fizzled out. Um were you a singer for the band? Yeah, I've I've always been the front man, um, it, except for one band uh, with Austin and Israel who play in Judiciary now. I've I faked playing bass for a band with them when I was like <laughs> a junior in high school. I had no idea what I was doing, but I just turned down and tried to look as cool as possible. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so uh, other than that, I've always been the front man of all my bands that I've been in. So oh, so you got a young start. Yeah, I you know I I think that that's like part of what kind of kept me around was I th- I always thought that like live performances w- performances were cool, um, and I always like like I said I was kind of a CD collector. I was also collecting like live DVDs of stuff. So when I was super young, I bought like a Lincoln Park live DVD, a Parkway Drive live DVD, and I always thought it was so cool that they would like travel around and play shows. Um, yeah, it was just like super. It hooked me super hard. Yeah, you know, I have uh, this random memory. I actually re-looked this up on YouTube. I remember being in eighth grade, I think. Remember that band, The Presidents of the United States of America? Mm-hmm. I do. I yeah. did, they had a song on like a Tony Hawk game, I think, or Skate. I can't remember what it was, though. Yeah, they blew up during the whole you know tail end of the alternative thing, and they played some show, I think, at Mount Rushmore on MTV. They're outside playing this gig and they're having fun. The crowd's having fun. I was like, I need to get into this. I need to perform somehow like these guys are. Yeah. I I mean, it's the coolest thing in the world, honestly. It still is. Mm -hmm. When does Judiciary start? How does it come together? So basically, I had just graduated high school, I believe. And the band that I faked playing bass in with uh, Israel and Austin fizzled out. Um, we decided that it was it was done. Um, and essentially, the idea came from me and Israel and Austin not wanting to stop playing together. And originally, the idea was, let's do a melodic hardcore band um, because we liked Have Heart a lot. Um, so basically, we got together in... Uh, the back of Austin's parents' house in this little like office room that they had again out in the country. So we didn't have to worry about neighbors or anything like that. Um, and so we just started jamming and we found that like, it was really hard to write this kind of songs that we wanted to write at the time. Like we, nothing was landing. It didn't feel like it was good enough, but between trying to write these songs, Israel and Austin would just jam like, hardcore riffs like just have like every band guy 
that's ever been to a practice or a writing session knows like somebody will just start playing something that's completely of a different genre and the other people will follow along. Like uh, how many, how many alt rock songs do you think have been accidentally written at hardcore Rexes? It's gotta be insane. Um, Oh, all the time. Like uh, between songs, I would in one of my bands between song, like, you know, we sound all dissonant and screamo and then between songs i would play like a kid rock riff like that that horrible new song he put out last year like i would play that riff because it was hilarious yeah exactly like <laughs> J- uh, jimmy the guy who plays guitar for us now his go-to thing is uh third eye blind he'll just start playing a third eye blind song and austin <laughs> and israel will like follow suit immediately but yeah like in between so like that third eye blind for us at the time was them jamming like hardcore riffs and like so Israel would start playing like a backtrack sounding riff and he would uh Austin would follow along and it got to the point where like there I think there was like a couple of times where it's like that was actually really cool like um it got to the point where we were just like you know what like fuck this melodic thing like that's not what we're good at we are way better at writing hardcore songs so let's just try to write hardcore songs that's interesting like you know you have this one thing in mind and naturally it just becomes something else yeah i and i think it was just i felt like it was we were forcing ourselves to do something that we weren't as excited about but like the feeling that we got when we wrote like a good two-step or a good like breakdown was so much more satisfying so we kind of pursued that so we wrote like I want to say like three or four hardcore songs. Um, we didn't have a bassist and I kind of wanted to be the front man again. Cause I couldn't play bass. Um, <laughs> so we asked our friend Kyle, who uh, was a few years older than us. Um, he was, he was a guitar player and we asked him like, Hey, like, you know, do you want to play bass in this band? I know you don't have gear. We showed him like voice memos of the songs and he was like, yeah, let me buy gear and I'll, I'll come jam with you guys. So he bought gear and came to Austin's parents' house, and that's kind of how Judiciary started. Uh, was just out of me, Austin, and Israel writing like the bulk of the first couple of songs, and then Kyle joining in. And Kyle was kind of like the driving force behind like doing things right because he was older than us. Um, so like the first demo, we originally were just like, okay, we'll go with like the cheapest, closest option to record and he was like no fuck that like i'm gonna email this guy that recorded a bunch of stuff that we like like let's see if we can do it and it ended up working out and it was for the best so yeah that's that's kind of how it it started was just that was axis of equality the first release like the first recorded thing no so uh we actually so we started in 2013 um and our first recorded release was a demo that we put out in 2014 um it it exclusively lives on Bandcamp now. Um, we haven't put it up on any streaming services um, just because it doesn't really sound like us anymore. But um, it's a good demo. I, I think it still holds up. You still play anything from it, or is it retired? Yeah, it's completely retired. Last time we played something for it from it was um, our record release show for Surface Noise in Lubbock. We played like two songs from it and that was the probably most likely the last time we will play anything off that demo. Um but yeah. So you got on my radar from Axis of Equality, that EP. I think I heard it in I don't know, 2018-ish somewhere around there. I was discovering a lot of new music and uh 
So th- did you guys put out that EP yourselves? Yeah. So we, we put out that EP in 2016, at the beginning of 2016, I believe. Um, that was all self-released. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, you can hear that uh, everybody is pretty seasoned. I mean, as a, well, not technically your first release, but such an early release sounds very polished. Everybody's tight. It's a, it's a great release. Yeah. That was kind of like the perfect storm for us, I think, because, um, obviously like Israel is a monster on guitar. And like, when I say that, like when we wrote, when we, the way we've moved about being a band, Kyle kind of being like the, no, let's do this right. Kind of person um, drove the way that that record sounded quite a bit. Um, So for that record, like we went to um, our friend, Daniel Schmuck, who um, recorded the demo and access. He's also recorded like a bunch of Texas bands, um, frozen soul, most notably recently. Um, But uh, he recorded that. And then we sent, we sent like a cold email to Taylor young, to see if he would want to mix it and he was down he said yes so that product of like us kyle kind of spearheading like the let's do it right conversation um made it you know to where taylor mixed it and it sounds unbelievable especially for just our second release as a band that's great that you took the time to really do it the right way you know because when i put out my first record which was i don't know five years ago i was just so excited to get it out i didn't send it anywhere i didn't you know just desperate to get it out there well and and like that that's kind of been a driving force for us since the beginning because we've never because we've been from lubbock we we didn't have like the resources that a lot of bands have or the connections that a lot of bands have to maybe like, Oh, my buddy runs like a small label. He'll put out our tapes. Even that was like not on the table for us really. Um, So we've always just kind of like come in with like the expectation, like we're going to do it ourselves, even down to like when, uh, after the axis of equality came out, we pressed like 500 records ourselves um and even down to we were slapping the stickers on the records ourselves because we did it in like a really weird way we didn't we we printed stickers after the records were done um (laughs) so if anybody has those records i'm sorry if they're hard to deal with but we did those completely ourselves like i we were sticking labels on the records we were packing them up ourselves and everything like that so um, we've always gone into it with that mentality of like, we have to do it ourselves because nobody else is going to give a fuck. So at that point, when that EP comes out, how much had you played out? Like how far had you gone in the U S performing shows? So before that EP came out, we hadn't gotten out of the state yet. Um, so off of our demo, we played like San Antonio and we played, uh, Laredo and we played Corpus Christi. We played Midland that was about it. Um, and then right before that EP came out, we got the offer from uh, what is now called LDB Fest um, from Ryan from LDB Fest uh, to play that fest in 2016, um, which was like February of 2016. And then we released the Access of Quality in January. So it was kind of perfect timing. Um, so yeah, right after we released that EP, we played our first out of state shows to go and play LDB Fest um, during that year. So pretty uh it was a pretty quick transition um but we still had a lot of room to uh to or a lot of work to do to grow as a band did you see a lot of growth after that ep was up on streaming and everywhere else 
Yes and no. Like it still felt like we were a Lubbock band and we still had a lot to prove. I think the axis of equality really aged well as a record. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that, uh, like I said, like being from Lubbock, we just didn't know anybody. So we had to go out and play these shows to really get our name out there. Um, but like the axis of equality, like got us on, um, LDB fest. And then in the, in the next year we got on the first sound and fury fest back, um, which was a huge deal for us. Like, like I said earlier, like videos from that fest got me into hardcore essentially. Um, and then we also, you know, got to, um, you know, play a few other shows out of state and, um, but it was still like a, a slow build. Like I felt like we still had a lot to prove. Like it wasn't an overnight thing at all. Yeah. So that shows you still just have to get out there and play a lot to make people pay attention. Oh yeah. Absolutely. It must have been incredible to play Sound and Fury Fest yourself, right? After seeing all those videos back in the day? Yeah, man. Like when we got the ask, like I remember vividly, I was in college at the time and I was walking uh, from class to class. And I just remember seeing the DM on Twitter. I think it was either Riley or Martine, if it was either one of them. Uh, they messaged us and just said, Hey, what are you doing in July or whatever? And I was, I, could not contain my smile. Like I was freaking out. Um, so to be able to play that like meant a lot. Um, and the lineup that year was just so good, man. Like one of my favorite hardcore sets ever was the ceremony set from that year. One of the loudest hardcore crowds I've ever heard. And it was just awesome. And like, you know, it, it's just a great fest. You're in LA, like being a kid from Lubbock, like being able to go out to, Los Angeles and play as like cliche as it sounds is like a cool thing to say to your family. Um, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Like it, a lot of people that come from West Texas don't get to do that, much less bring their bands there and play a show or a fest of that magnitude. So it's really, really cool. When you played, how well did people know you? I mean, are, are people like singing along and going off at that point? Um, there was a few people that knew our, our stuff. I was, I was pretty surprised. Um, one of like the biggest pops of our whole set since we wrote the song, like the two step part and acts of equality. I remember looking out and seeing like the dance floor full and I was like, wow, that's crazy um, to me. So like, yeah, there, there was a few people that knew our stuff. I was, I was pretty, I was pretty surprised. Um, so that like meant a lot, especially again, being a band from Lubbock, like we don't, we don't expect that to happen. We kind of just have to make it happen. Yeah, I mean, you really started from nothing, you know, small town, small scene. You didn't have like big connections. You you just really had to build this thing step by step. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I've heard you say that you think Axis of Equality nowadays is one of your more overrated songs. Is that correct? Yeah, um, that's not to say it's not a good song. Like, I think that it serves like it gets the biggest pop live for a reason. Um because it's catchy people love it um the only reason i say it's our, one of our most overrated songs is just because like it gets that big of a reaction and like <laughs> on like an artist like like musician standpoint when you're on the other side of it and you like spend so much time like working on these other songs that you feel are way more like technically proficient that you know you spent so much more time on it's like, oh man, they love like a lot of people's favorite song is the one song that we spent probably the least time on. But 
it's kind of a testament to how good it is it is instinctually so yeah isn't it funny how that works like when you listen to flesh and blood the new record there's just i mean there's so many great parts so much intricate guitar work all of this stuff but axis of equality is axis of equality like i don't know what it like i guess it's just the simplicity of it you know as certain hardcore songs just have that swing and it really gets me going and that's the song that hooked me on you guys when I discovered you, you know, all those years ago. So it's just, that's just how it works. Yeah, exactly. And like that song kind of just, I remember vividly us finishing that song up. It kind of just fell together really quickly. Um, so yeah, I don't know. It's just crazy how that works. And it's, it's funny. You mentioned like the flesh and blood songs. It's like the antithesis of how we wrote acts of equality. Like, <laughs> we were so meticulous with every single thing on that record. So yeah, yeah. We're going to get there. I want to talk about that record because I mean, number one, it's a great record. And well, you know what? Let's jump ahead a bit. What, what, why waste time? Flesh and blood. We're on closed casket activities now. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. So flesh and blood. You said with this one. You know, you guys really took the time to make something special. And you talked about some of the difficulty in getting the release you want and the, you know, just some of the struggle with getting the record made the way you wanted. Talk about some of that. Like, what steps do you have to take to really get what you want into this release? And I'm talking in terms of aesthetics and the music writing. So basically, the biggest struggle, I think, was just getting everybody on the same page or at least a similar page. Um, Because at the, at the genesis of thinking about this record, we all had the baseline understanding of what we wanted to do. We want to take judiciary, what it sounds like now, or what it sounds like post surface noise and make it more metal and expand on it but how do we make that true to ourselves and making it true to ourselves is the hardest part because sometimes you don't know what that actually means and where we should go with that so figuring out where we should go with that was the hardest part because when you say metal um a lot of people would maybe be like oh you're gonna go thrashier um and we knew we didn't want to do that because um, for a couple of reasons, we felt like we had kind of done that already before between like the acts of equality and some stuff on surface noise. So it's like, how do we kind of shed this crossover moniker that's been bestowed upon us? Uh, how do we make ourselves different um, and make sure that we are kind of carving our own identity out here? Um, and then when you say metal, you can say like, oh, well, you know, maybe we could do death metal or something like that. But that didn't feel true to us. Like it didn't feel like the right step. It felt like it would be too far of a jump. It felt like it would be kind of weird for us to try to make this hardcore band. That's kind of crossovery into a death metal band. So then we kind of landed on like, why don't we just take everything and bring it in and try to make it sound like stuff we like and stuff we grew up listening to. Um, so between five different people, you have five different ideas on how that would play out, right? Um, so that was the hardest part, honestly, was getting everybody on a similar page and then trying to execute it. Once we get on a similar page, how do we execute that idea in a cohesive and like intentional way? That involves, you know, how does 
A, the music. How does this sound? How does this feel? Um, B, the imagery. How does this look? Does it match the sound? And C, like, kind of like the the mental version of it. Because when I listen to music, I kind of want it to be a world that I'm immersed in. Like, when you listen to, like, Age of Quarrel, you know, like what that feels like in your head or what you, or at least that's the way my brain works. How, how do you create a world within this record? So that was a hard part of like, how do we connect all three of these aspects and make it cohesive? Um, so yeah, getting five people, it basically boils down to getting five people on the same page to agree to anything is hard enough. It's hard enough for us to find uh, for five people to find a place to eat dinner some nights. <laughs> so it's like getting a, an, a, a art project, a creative project to align is, is really hard in that way. I mean, it's gotta be right. Like how, is there ever points where it's just really hard to get everybody on the same page and how do you do it? Is it group consensus? Do we, do we take a vote? Like, what do you do? So with this record, um, it was a bunch of trial and error and admittedly, like, I think Kyle, our bassist or had like the clearest vision of what it could be. So a bunch of it was him kind of giving some baseline ideas, bringing it to Austin or to, to Israel and Jimmy and saying like, make this better. And then like Jimmy and Israel coming up with their riffs and us seeing how we can adjust them to fit what we need in this project. Um, And then us coming together and trying to merge everything into one. Um, So like a bunch of it was just pure vetting. If all five of us, or at least the majority of us weren't fully on board, then we had to change it, which is hard. Like, because there could be something that somebody's really married to. I know I had a few things that I was like sold on that were changed. And I was kind of like, damn. Um, but in the grand scheme, it was for the best. And now I, I'm glad we did every change that we did because the record turned out exactly how we wanted. So, um, yeah, it was a bunch of just like trial and error and just being honest with each other and trying to kind of like put our pride and ego, our individual pride and individual egos to the side to create something that we could all be happy with. Well, I think you did because, you know, I think it's the perfect mix that you were going for in terms of hardcore and metal because I don't listen to a lot of metal. I came in on the craziest hardcore like crossover stuff. So I missed a lot of the classics. You know, I don't sit down and listen to Slayer or Metallica I didn't listen to them when I was young. And as far as the more extreme stuff, like all the death metal, I've never really been into that. So if it veers too far into the world of metal, I could be lost. But when I sit down and listen to this record, I think it's the perfect blend, like what you guys were going for. And my my judgment of a record like this is like, you know, does it make me want to get up and flip things over in my room? And you know what? It most certainly does. I, I appreciate that. That's the ultimate aim. And like, I think that, from what you said, like it's, it's exactly who we are as people is like the blend of hardcore and metal. Like I listen, I personally will listen to a Slayer record or a machine head record just as much as I will listen to a Chromax record. There's a middle ground that I think that we really, really tried to like meet in the middle. And I think we did that. And it, it feels like, it feels like us as people into a creative project. Yeah, I think you just need to be true to yourselves, like you did when the band started. You know, we want to sound like Have Heart. Oh, this doesn't feel right. It's not working. 
and and now in the future like you you don't want to do too much of one thing or make it sound like something because you think that's the way it should be you just go with what's inside of you guys yeah exactly and sometimes you have to kind of dig deeper to find that how do you do that like how do you know it's right are, are we just playing songs and it's a feeling are we sitting down and talking about things or both like what do you do it's 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 everything so it's it's doing your homework what is in my spotify library what am i listening to what you know what did i like when i was younger that still holds up now what am i listening to now that can influence what we're trying to write here um and then it's like presenting that to the group and you know saying like uh, there was so many links sit in our group chat of like this part of this song is cool it sounds like something we could like you know take note of um we made playlists for inspiration um you know so doing your homework presenting it to the group and then trial and error like i said like because i could send five different guitarists the same slayer riff and say write something like this and i'll get five different riffs back yeah so like trying to get everybody like of the same mindset was is like the biggest part of it so yeah it's a it's a mix of everything man are you guys like in the practice space working on writing together how does it work so for this record like writing it was a little bit harder than the others because before it was just us in a practice space throwing ideas at each other and trying to write songs uh live um but with this one uh, the pandemic happened. So we couldn't really, when we, when we decided we were going to start like seriously writing this record was right when the pandemic hit. And, Uh. um, so we couldn't see each other. Um, the only person, the only people at the time who had any experience recording music out of their bedroom were Kyle and Jimmy. So our bassist and one of our guitarists. So we basically had to pivot. We had to buy, we bought Israel and Austin equipment, and programming to be able to um, track guitar and drums. And they had to learn those programs. So that was a learning curve. So basically what the writing process became was like everybody, (laughs) pretty much everybody but me sending their ideas into a group chat and people, you know, the five of us being like, eh, that's that, that could be better. Let's, let's keep that. Let's, you know, let's flesh that out when we get in in person. And then every couple of months we'd fly Jimmy down. Um, and Israel would drive down to Austin. I would drive up from San Antonio to Austin and we would get in the practice space and flesh out those ideas live. So it was a little bit different and it was kind of a hybrid approach, but I think that it kind of worked out in our favor because I think them learning that recording software gave them some new skills to be able to like, do that a little bit more streamlined and like it i think it let everybody kind of get more of their ideas out into the air than it would be like if we're limited on time at a practice space and i think it eventually made us more productive but it was a long learning curve for us um as oh yeah as far as my role like i before the songs are completed i'm kind of just like (laughs) the the asshole who sits in the corner with his arms crossed (laughs) <laughs> and gives us gives us input whenever it's time. Um, then when the songs are completed, that's when I like to write lyrics because it feels like I can be more intentional with like patterns and everything like that. Um, 
so yeah do you have say in like riffs and song structure and stuff like will you ever be like hey uh i don't really feel this riff and the guitar player's like well you don't play guitar so shut up is there like is there is there ever any stuff like that no i say we're a pretty democratic band like i said like if all five of us aren't on board like there's a discussion to be had and we had a lot of discussions there were definitely moments where i may have been overreaching like especially for not being a guitarist um but like i think that we all did that to each other you know the like no nobody can play drums except for austin the band but we were all giving him pointers on on drumming um you know i obviously write the bulk of the lyrics and you know before i went in to record there was like several rewrites of lyrics that i did because of recommendations recommendations from them um so like to answer it's like I, I do get input on that stuff because everybody else gets input on my stuff. Um, but there's definitely times where we got on each other's nerves and it felt like way more personal than it actually was. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that that that's kind of how it goes for us. Yeah, that just happens. You know, sometimes I'll say to a drummer like, hey, try to do this. And they always look at you like you're crazy. It's like no matter how well you think you're replicating the beat. And sometimes the drummer will t- or sometimes the drummer will say to me, oh, can't you do a guitar part like this? And I'm thinking like, ah, shut up. Yeah. Well, and like <laughs> a bunch of it just comes down to like, hey, can you try? That was kind of like the thing was like, say if Austin wanted to play something like, as a fast part, but I'm like, no, like do the fast part in like a D beat style or something like that. Just try it. And then we try it and it's like, oh wait, never mind. My way didn't work. Your way was better. Cool. We'll go back to that way. That's how a bunch of that stuff goes for us. So they'll actually sit down and look at your lyrics and have input on that. Yeah. So for like the most part, like I said, I kind of wrote, I wrote most of the lyrics. Um, but then I'll, I will send and like, for this record, we kind of wanted like a world to go like world to be built within this record. So like that wasn't just me thinking of that world. Like that was a lot of Kyle. Um, and then me and Austin also gave our input. So like showing that to them, like they can, I, I show them the, the lyrics and they're like, that word is weird. This phrasing's weird. Do you mean that? Or did you mean this? And then it's like, can we get more of like that? imagery through lyrics in so like for this record like we want it to be kind of like a post-apocalyptic desert thing so it's like if you look if you read my lyrics for this record i put in a bunch of like imagery like sun beating down um dirt dust like rust that kind of stuff so um they they gave a lot of input that way do you like that or do you not like that uh both because <laughs> i like it because they 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 give a lot of like um input that's super valuable and like it, it made things so much better like if if the first draft of my lyrics would have been the um final version i i wouldn't have been nearly as happy with it so they they gave, gave a lot of good ideas but like along those lines i personally struggled with i was taking a bunch of stuff too personally um because I felt like, especially when you write lyrics, I feel like sometimes you make them a little bit, a, li- a line, a, a song full of lyrics that I feel is a little bit more personal than a riff. And like a guitarist may, may disagree with me there, but like I, I had, I had struggles taking things personal when they told me that like 
a song or a lyric like read weird or like they didn't like it or something like that. Um, so that's the, that's the reason I dislike it, but I also see like the huge value in like letting them kind of bring their ideas to my songs. And I, I did the same thing to them, so they should be allowed to do that to me. You know what I mean? Yeah, it makes perfect sense. And it does sound like it could be a better product overall if everybody is contributing and helping each other out. But I get very defensive and I take things too personally. So, you know, if it, I don't know if it, if I just don't want input or, or if it's de- the message is delivered in the wrong way, I can I can definitely take it too personally. Oh, yeah. There was definitely a few times I like kind of shut down and I was trying to con- like trying to take in everything that they were saying and kind of like tell myself at the same time, like they don't mean that you as a person suck. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, because that's that's easily where a lot of people could go with that. Oh, yeah. 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 Typically, the way I'll work, if I get stuck, I will want inspiration for someone else. It doesn't happen often, but sometimes I just can't like I wait for inspiration to come to tell me what the song is going to be about. And I sometimes that doesn't happen. And then that that's when it's good to work with other people and get inspiration from them. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think that like a collaborative environment can foster a lot of really good opportunities, especially given the people that are working on that project. Cause I think that some bands thrive when it's one person steering the ship and bringing everybody along. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, we can definitely tell that the work was put in on this record. The production is top notch. The record is great. How has the reception been so far on your end? Um, it's been good from what I can see. Like I, um, I feel like it's doing what we wanted it to do. And I feel like people, Obviously, with every record release, any change that you make, there's going to be a lot of people that follow along with you. And then there's going to be some people that jump ship because they don't like what you did. And that's totally fine. Like art is up to print interpretation. Um, but I think that it's landing in short. Um, we When we did our record release shows a few weeks ago, um, the songs had great re- reactions live. It seems like people are into it. Um, And it seems like people are gathering what we were trying to do and what influences we were pulling from, which is really all we can ask for. Like, I'm, I'm really happy with the reception of it. That's awesome. How, uh, how does the band operate? Do you just play when you can, because people have full-time jobs or when good opportunities come up? Like I was talking to your label mates, uh, incendiary earlier this week and they just do it, you know, they work full-time and they've always just done it when they can do it like how does it work with you guys um so before it was we were a little bit more available like before pre-pandemic um in 2019 we toured a lot um now our lives are all a little bit different um you know we have we have jobs israel is in gate creeper now so obviously that's like his main thing um so we are of the we will do it when we can, but also if there's a good opportunity, we will do our damnedest to make it happen. Um, there's already been a few of those that we had to like work out um, for later this year. I'm sure that if you're listening to this podcast, you'll see what I'm talking about later. Um, but like, yeah, it, it, right now it's at, at a do do what we can basis. But like, if if there's an opportunity to be had, we're going to capitalize on it. Have you ever done a full U.S. Oh yeah, we've done plenty of full USs because um, we started touring in 2016, and in 2019, I think we did 2018 and 2019. I think we probably did like we probably rounded out the US to collected of like four times, 
Oh wow! Um, yeah, so we've done we've done quite a bit of touring around the U.S. Wow, that's a pretty incredible what you can create, right? For just from coming up in a small town in Texas and recording some music and just putting it out there into the world. Oh yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, like this wasn't supposed to happen for us. Lubbock fans don't do that kind of thing. The only other Lubbock band that has done it and will continue to do it now is Flesh Rot, um, who's a, a death metal band from Lubbock. They're about to go on a full U.S. tour this summer, and uh, it's really cool to see because we've known those guys forever. But like, it's not to kind of like gas ourselves up, but like we had to work a, a lot harder than some other bands have just because of our geographic location. Uh, you know, between like driving six hours to a show in Dallas or San Antonio and driving back overnight because we have work the next morning. We've done all that. Um, and we've, we've just made it work. So hopefully we can continue to make it work. Yeah, absolutely. And you still have to put in the work. Like I, when I put out my first record, I kind of had the wrong idea about how things would, would go. I was like, Oh, this is great. I'll put it out on Spotify. Everyone will hear it. Offers will start rolling in, but that, I mean, that's not how it works. You still got to get out there and grind. Yeah. Absolutely. And there's a bunch of bands out there that are living, living proof of that. No pun intended. Drain is living proof of proof of that. Um, like I think they started around the same time we are and now they're signed to Epitaph and are one of the biggest hardcore bands in the world and they deserve it. So, yeah, I see their name everywhere. I just saw, uh, Epitaph posted a reel like, and drain was on it. I was like, wait, they're on Epitaph. I was like, wow. Awesome. They deserve it, man. Like we, we first played with them in 2016. We played a show in at at uh, Gilman in Berkeley, California, and uh, they opened the show. And that they they I think they were just a local band at that point. And we joined up with them like kind of right before they popped. They played a few shows with us in 2018. And uh, from then, they've just exploded. And I'm super stoked for them. They deserve everything that, that is coming to them because they've worked so damn hard for it. So That's awesome. So is there any opportunities the band has had to turn down? Because, you know, people are involved with jobs and other bands. Is there any big opportunities we had to turn down? Nothing crazy massive um, at the moment. But there have been some things that we've had to say no to that stung a little bit. Um We've had to say no to some friends bands tours um, because a like we just have to make it worth it for ourselves now a little bit more. Um, so that stings a little bit. And, you know, you want to say yes, yes to every tour that comes your way, um, but you just can't. So um, I'm sure there will come a time where we have to like maybe reevaluate and like see where, you know, it's like, OK, is this like, can we do this? And if so, is it worth it for all the residual effects that it causes? So. Yeah, there's there's been a few, but nothing too terribly big so far. That's good. That's good. How do you balance it with work? Like, would you go on a full U.S. tour now where you are in life? Could you do that? Do you want to do that? Like, how do you balance uh, work life and the band life? So without giving too much away, uh, I've already figured that out. Mm. Um, and it's going to happen. I basically cleared it to be able to work from the road so i'm gonna be, i'm gonna be rugging running myself ragged but um we're gonna be uh active uh here in the next few months so uh be on the lookout for that i guess but i uh yeah it's 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 a balance that i've been looking to strike for a while just because to anybody who hasn't torn toured especially within the past like 
10 years, it's expensive. And a lot of bands don't make a lot of money um, on the road. I know that when we were touring heavier, um, especially in like 2018, 2019, I was broke. Like I had a lot of trouble um, paying my bills at home and I I struggled with it um, mentally uh, as well. So being able to, you know, if I have to work a little bit extra harder to maintain my job at home so that I can go out and play these shows and satisfy myself creatively and like bring this show to a broader audience and try to, you know, do cool stuff is what it comes down to. Um, I'm going to strike that balance if I can. So uh, yeah, been working on it for a while, but uh, we will, we're, we're going to, we're going to try our best to, make it happen. That's good. That's good. Yeah, I feel that I've I've never done the thing where well, not that there was ever an opportunity, but I never did the thing where I'm like grinding a service job to make some money and then I quit and go on tour for like all year. I've never lived that life. I've always worked full-time day jobs because I need to, you know. I've I've pretty much just had to support myself. But uh, the tide has turned now where the the day job is solid enough and I'm remote enough that I can cycle in more music. So I'm doing that now. Yeah. And that's like the dream scenario, man. Like, cause like I said, like it's hard to make money in like the, or enough money to sustain yourself. I should say in, uh, like heavy music and music in general, honestly, um, nowadays. So, um, getting that balance of getting a, a, a thing at home that's steady, that'll keep you paid and keep you insured is, is, pretty it's a huge help i guess is what i should say yeah i'm never giving up the day job because i like it too much it's like stress-free enough and pays me enough that i'm so comfortable i don't ever want to give it up unless they force me to leave yeah exactly and like you know uh you never know what's going to happen like you you want to make sure that you're covered for uh quote-unquote live after the band so uh um, oh yeah you know it, only a few bands can really do that to where they um can leave their day jobs and work in music full time, but just got to make sure you're covered. There's just not a lot of money in it. You know, there are bands out there that are big that I've spoken to that I assume, Oh, they must live off of that. And they don't. Yeah, no, there's been bands that we've, uh, I've talked to that, like I would, you would think that they were, you know, just living off their band, but they're just not like, it's, it's, uh, it's getting harder and harder. I think to pull off that kind of lifestyle. Because what's going on in the country, too, I think they're pushing this inflation thing just way too far. It seems like nothing is affordable anymore for anybody. Yeah, it's it, it's getting harder and harder just to afford, uh, you know, basic things. Even like I get paid decent at home, but it's like I still feel the effects like at the grocery store. Like I feel like my paycheck doesn't go as far as it used to. Um, so like with like the changing economic state, like how can a traveling musician sustain a lifestyle, especially in like a big city? Like I've always kind of like, how do so, how does somebody who live in like lives in like New York city tour full time? Like that blows my mind. How do you afford that? I could barely do it when I lived in Lubbock and rent is like $300 and a pack of gum there. Like <laughs> it's, it's ridiculous. Yeah. I live in New York city mm, and I will be doing some touring this year. And uh, I will be saved by my credit card. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so I'm I'm just basically I'm just counting on uh, certain amounts of bonuses to come in. So I'll throw a bunch of money on the credit card, 
and then hopefully pay it all off. And it, it seems like that that's going to happen. So that that's the plan. Yeah, exactly. Like, and and that's the thing is you gotta you gotta make that kind of plan to make sure you're covered. So it's hard. It's hard up there. How much is rent in Lubbock? Um, it's going up. I haven't lived there in a few years, so I'm not sure what it's like now. But I'll tell you this: uh, the first house that I moved out into when I was 19 or 20, uh, it was a three bedroom house, um, about a thousand square feet. Um, I lived, I lived in there with Austin, our drummer and one of our friends, Tyler, brand new house built in like two years before we moved in there at the time, all electric appliances, huge backyard in a pretty decent area in Lubbock. Um, we were paying $990 total to live there. No. So my share of rent was $330 at the time. That's so good. Yeah, it was it was ridiculous. <laughs> it's definitely gone up a little bit like since I since I left. Like I I know one of the last houses I lived in there, it was like a three bedroom house and we paid like I, I say it's gone up a little bit. It's still not that much. We paid like twelve hundred dollars for a three bedroom house. Um again in a pretty decent area of Lubbock. So yeah, it's it's pretty pretty damn cheap to live in Lubbock. I mean, I feel like housing rates are expensive at everywhere no matter what i think i'm more on the low end in new york city um i'm paying what two thousand a month for 400 450 square feet maybe but that's that's the lower end for this neighborhood but even my parents neighborhood in suburban pennsylvania i feel like you're gonna pay close to two thousand in any decent neighborhood there too yeah exactly like and san antonio is not that expensive but it's definitely a lot more expensive than um than Lubbock is. So it's, uh, I'm definitely feeling it now. All right. I guess depending on where you live in San Antonio. Where is San Antonio? Is that like closer to Austin, Dallas, Houston? Not my Texas geography is all messed up. Yeah. So it's like, uh, it's, it's about a hundred miles Southwest of Austin. So I can get to Austin in like an hour and a half from, from San Antonio. Okay. Is there any uh, rivalry? Like uh, I know Dallas and Houston don't like each other. I confuse them all the time and you know, uh, they don't like that. I don't think there's a rivalry. I think that San Antonio people, from what I know, don't really love Austin and (laughs) Austin people could care less about San Antonio. Like, (laughs) like it feels like San Antonio is like, Oh God, I hate those guys. And then Austin's like, San Antonio is a place. Like Austin people don't come here very much. Uh, I see. But it doesn't feel too much like a rivalry. Like Dallas and Houston, definitely like they're just like, we're the top city. But I don't know. I like both. I like both San Antonio and Austin. They both have their own charm to it. Yeah. Yeah. It's like Philly and New York. Philly absolutely hates New York City because it's New York City. And New York City is like, wait, Philly exists. You know, they're not they're not so caught up in the fight. San Antonio is the Philly of Texas basically. <laughs> so when you're not touring, performing out there in the world working, what do you do? Um, so I, I guess the things that I'm into outside of like all of that, like I, I am big into lifting weights. Um, I lift weights about five to six days a week. Um, and then I also do freelance graphic design on the side. So done a bunch, bunch of different designs for bands, businesses, um, musicians, everything like that. Um, and then I have a I have a dog that's sitting about two feet away from me right now. I like playing with him. So nice. Do you do any designs for your band? Uh, yeah, I I do some stuff here and there for us. I don't love designing for for us just because I feel like I'm too critical and I can never get the exact 
vibe of what I want it from my own hands for some reason. So we outsource a lot of that stuff. Um, but, uh, I, I've done some, some stuff here and there for us. Yeah, I get that. Like, you know, I do a podcast, so it's hard for me to listen to a podcast because I'm like, why did they edit it like this? Why didn't they do that? You know, it's, it's hard to like turn your brain off. Yeah, exactly. Um, I'm definitely too critical of myself when it comes to like designing for my own band too. Like I, I've done a bunch of stuff and just scrapped it. Cause I was like, this sucks. I'm not gonna, I'm not even gonna show this to the guys. <laughs> Let's talk about what we've got coming up. For judiciary now number one we have flesh and blood out now so everyone out there if you somehow have not heard the record yet we have to right jake oh yeah absolutely you have to i think it's the strongest release yet if you're a fan of metal infused hardcore you're gonna love it so that's number one but number two jake tell us where we can see you tell us what's coming up tell us what you can announce um so right now i can announce i'm not sure when this is coming out but um i we will be in california slash vegas um here in a couple weeks so uh may 18th we're playing oakland may 19th we're playing san fernando valley um may 20th we're playing vegas and may 21st we're playing oxnard um so that that'll be fun we're going around with our friends in uh dead body another closed casket band um we'll be playing those shows and then bands like dead heat um upon stone um mongrel a bunch of different bands are playing those shows with us so it'll be a fun time i'm really excited about it um and then we have some other stuff in the works that i can't really talk about right now um a bunch of stuff in the u.s so we have a fest in uh toronto that we are playing that is already announced with no warning. It's with harm's way. So end it and a bunch of other bands. Um, that is going to be in September of this year. Um, so tickets are already out from that. Um, it's going to be September 22nd and 23rd. Um, and then we also, if this is announced by then we'll be going out of the country, uh, down to Mexico. Um, for for a few days so uh if there's any mexican listeners on here we will be seeing you soon there is i see the stats we are heard in so many countries you wouldn't believe it i love to hear that but yeah we're going to be going down to mexico later this year and then there's a a bunch of stuff planned that i can't really talk about so uh it's going to be an exciting year for us i'm really i'm really stoked on it that's incredible yeah it sounds like a lot of good stuff is happening and we have an excellent new record out to go along with it so it's good times right Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's great times. Awesome. Well, Jake, uh, I just want to thank you for taking the time to come on the show. Love the new record. Love what you guys have been doing for a long time. So thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you again for having me. And there you have it, Jake Collinson. Wow. First of all, really nice guy. Great band. Flesh and Blood is probably my favorite thing I've heard from Judiciary since the Axis of Equality EP. And number one, it was great to hear about Axis of Equality and how that song came together because, you know, it's a really popular song. And uh, yeah, like Jake said, it's just that's how it happens sometimes. Those really good, simple songs just happen quick, and people tend to lock onto those. But the deep dive we went into for Flesh and Blood was really interesting. You know, Jake was really forthcoming about 
some of the struggles the band had and just in terms of getting on the same page. And it's amazing that five people can get on the same page like that and come to an agreement and still be cool with each other and make everything work. And, you know, flesh and blood is awesome. It's awesome. It's just, it's a, like we were talking about in the first part of the show, Dave, it's metalcore, but different metalcore, right? It, it's like a little thrashier, or a little more metal. And, uh, I don't know. They did just their particular brand of what they're doing is really, really good. I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that that recording is just so gigantic sounding. Like when I listen to that, I'm like, okay, like just as somebody who, um, you know, like pays attention to uh, tone of guitars, I just wonder how that happened. I'm like, okay, this is really, really compelling in my in my earphones. Like, oh, this is like just amazing. So, besides that, though, I just think that they're they seem like super seasoned players anyway. Um, you know, of course, the the music isn't it's it's a little bit more complicated than their earlier stuff. Um, but just not not only the complicated the complication in the music, but, but just the delivery is just so solid that it's, it's, it's hard to not be impressed. It's great. Really good. Yeah. I say this all the time. I'm not a huge production guy. Like I don't study it. I don't know a lot about it, but I notice when it's really good. And when I hear this record, I'm like, yes, yes. Listen to the tones on this album. So good. Yep. You got it rips. Like that's what it is. Like it, the songs are really good, but, but the fact that the, that the tones are just like, uh, just rich that that just draws me in instantly. Yeah. So awesome band, great new record. They should be proud. I hope everybody out there is enjoying it. So thank you so much, Jake, for coming on the show. Now, Dave, we have to cover a very important topic, (laughs) our favorite topic, which is ourselves. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) And Dave, I want to start with you because the people here are enough for me. They know what I'm up to. What's going on, Dave? Now, we haven't spoken in depth since the last time you were on the show, which was September of 2021. And that was a while ago. The new scene didn't exist yet. Tommy was still on the show. We were still figuring things out. We were on the brink of the new scene, but it hadn't been announced yet. I know you were working on the beginning of Omen Astra. You were talking about that a little bit. There was some spread the disease news I think we were talking about. But you know what, Dave? Before we even get into the band stuff, how are you doing personally? What's going on? I'm good. I um, decided to go back to school. I uh, moved to Montreal and I'm finally going to lock in a degree. (laughs) It's been years and years and years. I had to basically go and move to a whole other country. get married, get divorced and be in, end up in a trade that I was miserable at in order to come back to finally doing exactly what I want to do, which is uh, printmaking and music, art and music. It's my life. I love that. Now you moved to Montreal from Toronto, correct? From Toronto. Yeah. Before I was in Toronto, I was in Philadelphia for, you know, a couple decades. So I remember that, you know, the one piece of our conversation that I remember is you were working in Philadelphia as a plumber, correct? You got it. And I remember saying that must have been really rough because Philly is a rough city and plumbers are rough people, right? So if you're a plumber in Philadelphia... It's got to be crazy. Uh, so first of all, I don't even want to talk about plumbing for too long, but I'll just say I'll just say this, that plumbing in itself is a very hard trade for sure on the body um, to uh, first of all. Second of all, the people in Philadelphia 
are are you know a little bit similar to say like New York in that there's just sort of like a a toughness um in their demeanor right from the get go so you add those yeah. you add those two things and uh you know a little innocent Canadian boy <laughs> moves down there <laughs> and he gets he gets a real education you know <laughs> oh yeah so what do you like better Toronto or Montreal um you know I'm not a fan of Toronto at all. Just, uh, I don't know, Matt, after I moved back, it just uh, didn't jive with me for some reason. Not sure why. Why not? I don't know. Just seemed a little bit um, like all of the cultural stuff that, that made Toronto really great was all torn down. They put up a, a lot of condos and it's just, uh, you know, it's just sort of like a, it's lacking the same culture that it used to. I got you. I don't have any uh, historical viewpoint because the first time I was there was 2013, I think, 14. But the times I went, I really liked it. You know, it just reminded me of a cleaner Chicago or New York City, basically. You know what? I've said that actually many times that Toronto is like a like a mini New York, but without all this great stuff to do. <laughs> yeah, ex- exactly. Yeah. Yeah. There wasn't anything particularly exciting to do in Toronto, but I liked it. You know, the people were nice and attractive. Uh, the city looked cool. It was clean. Uh, I ate good food. That was enough. Right. Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. to answer your question, I would say that in general, I like Montreal better than Toronto. People seem to say that. Like uh, when I talk to people who have visited Montreal, they're all about it. So I'll have to visit there one day. The only downside to Montreal is that it is often overcast here. It's a very gray city. Uh, so you have to take advantage of your sunny days. I like overcast. There you go. Are we talking about the band here? Or Oh, well, uh, <laughs> let's see. The weather and the band. Both <laughs> awesome. <laughs> All right. So you're doing printmaking and art now. That's it, right? We got we to gotta do what makes us happy. That I'm trying to segue somehow into a life of just making music and doing art and recording stuff, you know? That's what makes me happiest. It seems like that's uh, what you're getting into. You know, at some point you just go, oh, wow. Like, like I obviously make a lot of money as a plumber doing what I'm doing, but I'm miserable. So I suppose that on some level I will have to sacrifice uh, finances in order to be happier. Okay. And that's exactly what I did. So it took a, it, it was, it was hard to do. It's not easy to do. <laughs> you know, it was really difficult, but it's, but I'm glad, I'm glad I sort of like sunk to that low place, sunk low enough where I was like, okay, I just like, I got to change my life. You know, I'm glad I, I'm glad I went there. So what did you do to change? I mean, do, do you stop the plumbing job and you're on student loans while you're figuring things out? Are you working just day jobs to make ends meet? Like, how do you do it? Uh, yeah, all of the above. That's exactly right. Okay. Yep. You got it. So it's basically like, you know, like the artist life is essentially just comping it together from whatever sources you can, you know? So, and, 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 and what that means is that I have a lot more time, but the time that I have, I, I don't, I don't putz around and watch a lot of television. I actually try to make the time that I have uh, a little bit more meaningful in terms of art and music. So, and uh, speaking of music, Dave, you're up to a lot in music. And uh, I want to talk about Omen Astra, who just put out the End of Everything EP. Yes? Yeah, it's actually a full length, but yep, it's just it just came out on uh, streaming, and the and the vinyl is out now. Just waiting for my copies in the mail. So it is a full length. You know what? I saw five songs, and my mind just went EP. But when I look at the song lengths, no, this is an LP. It is. There's six songs, and the songs are all you know over. Oh geez, six seven minutes. They're they're quite long. 
So let's talk about this. Now, when we last spoke, we were putting this together. It was the beginning stages, right? Tell us about recording it. Tell us about arranging this record. Tell us about releasing it. Give us the story. So yeah, it basically started over the pandemic. It was, I had sort of uh, asked myself a couple questions before I started. I knew I wanted to write a record. Um, And then a lot of times what I do is I sort of follow a vibe or I follow um, a set of limits. And so the limit I set up for myself was, um, I wasn't going to write the same kind of riffs that I that I always fall back on, which are essentially black metal riffs, um, like in Spread the Disease, for example. Um, and so I decided, okay, I'm just going to um, limit myself to um, heavy music that is not going to rely on um, blazing speed. And in doing so, I was listening to a lot of um, a lot of slower, heavier doom type stuff. Um, and I just kept asking myself, what would, what would bands like that do if they were coming from the hardcore, uh, from a hardcore place? In other words, like I know how to write music in the hardcore scene and it's often quite metallic. Um, you know, so I just kept asking myself, what would that sound like? What would that, what would that mean to me? And then it just, I kept, I kept writing, kept writing, kept putting it all together. I'm uh, essentially the principal songwriter, despite, um, there being a lot of, uh, other players in the mix here. But, um, yeah, I mean, in the end, I ended up recording most of this, most of the guitars myself, um, at home because uh, I have a really great setup, um, a lot of great preamps and stuff. So um, yeah, and then it, it, it initially was going to be uh, an entirely different thing, but I ended up getting Chris Gray on board um, with vocals. He's the uh, singer for New Day Rising. Um, and that guy is, a, is just a beast. Like there's, out of all of the dudes in um in hardcore that came from the 90s in my opinion chris gray is at the top at the top of the list probably you know i would say top four or five hardcore singers and i would even say that he's better now than he was when he was younger so which is you know crazy for a 45 year old guy to be amazing now (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean the the production sounds great on this record chris sounds great i mean you know I have a fondness for New Day Rising because it's one of the bands I discovered early on when I got into the scene and and all the different things. But when you listen to Omen Ostra, I mean, clearly we can hear that Chris has come a long way. Oh, the guy, so you know, like he he's had he's had a lot of experience. Uh, he was in a band on that was on Victory called the Black Maria, and and they were more you know melodic. Um, a lot more singing, but when it comes to um, uh, doing the exercises needed to sort of maintain uh, vocals, uh, to maintain your range, uh, Chris is just, he's got all the tricks and techniques. He was, he was taught along the way how to, you know, how to do what he does and not blow his voice out. And so when he does it, it sounds just, it, it's just, it's just incredible. So yeah, I mean, you, the guy's a, is a, a super pro all around, always was a super pro in everything he, he, he attempts. It's what I really like about the guy, you know? That's awesome. Well, it's a record to be proud of. 
And what can we expect, Dave? Is there going to be shows? Can we see you at some point? What is going to happen? Right. So right now the record's out. Everything's going along. Uh, it came out on Hypethra Records and from Toronto, Protagonist from Arizona, and Mom- Moment of Collapse from Germany. Um, so yeah, so right now we are, um, booking shows in the summer in Southern Ontario. So essentially London, Hamilton, Toronto, that kind of thing. Awesome. Yep. Have you played any gigs since the pandemic? Well, it didn't end ever, but have you played any gigs since everything opened back up? Nope. Not at all. When's the last live show you played? Wow. Okay. That, that, that's funny. I was just looking this up the other day. The last live show I played was in 2016 with my space rock band in Philadelphia called The Formless Form. You're kidding me. I'm not kidding. Yeah. I've, just, I've actually been writing more music now since, um, since I don't have a live sort of outlet. Um, more music than ever before, but just n- nothing live, which is like something I had need to remedy. <laughs> now, Dave, this is going to blow your mind, but the last live show I played was in 2016 until last week. I joined a new band and we did a five-day run with Spotlight. So those were the first gigs I've played in seven years. How did that feel? Insanely scary. <laughs> <laughs> Totally. And I I was ready. I put in the work. I practiced a lot, but I have bad anxiety, you okay. know, and I, I don't drink and or do drugs or anything anymore. So mm-hmm. I just have to feel the feelings. And uh, it was really scary, but it went well. You just have to get over the hump, right? Oh, absolutely. You know what? I got some breathing exercises for you if you want. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm going to talk to you about that, I think, because... Uh, yeah, I would do like a little meditation thing and just and just take some deep breaths in and out and whatever I could do to to take the pressure off. And just remember, hey, you know the songs. You know the songs, just go up there and play them. Right. That's right. So uh this is going to be exciting. Will Omen Ostra be the first performances you've had since that gig in 2016? It will be. How amazing is that? That is awesome. Yeah, it's incredible. So who else is in the band? It's you, it's Chris. Is there other people from New Day Rising or who's in it? Yep. We got um we got Trev. Uh Trev was in New Day Rising as well as Spread the Disease. And we got uh Theo and Scott on drums and bass. Awesome. I know you have a number of other bands and different things you're involved with. Give us the updates, Dave. Tell us where we can hear you, where we can see you. Tell us everything that's going on. Yeah, so Omen Astra is obviously sort of my main thing, but um, I'm so voracious when it comes to writing music that I just it's I just want to I just want to play music and write music and record music with people I appreciate um, and have respect for. So I have a new uh, record out. It's called Unsufferable. Um, and that is with, uh, Ryan, who was in the band blood gin, which is a metalcore band in the two thousands and Rob, uh, Rob fish from one Oh, nice. Yeah. So this is, uh, this it's like the, mo- I would say the most hardcore sounding thing I've ever written. Basically all Rob was like, you know what? I want to, want to do some music and it's, it's just gotta be sort of, you know, the hard vicious sounding. I was like, okay, I can do that. No problem. Um, and you know, is or mean, I think, I think that's what he said. He was like, I want, and it needs to be mean. And when you hear it, like, you'll see what I mean. Like he's, he's, he's sort of taken what I've written and, and like ultra meaned it. <laughs> he, <laughs> he made it meaner. <laughs> you know? 
I like the sound of that. Uh, it's like you know, it's like what you would expect in um, in 108, except just in a a, a far more uh, aggressive delivery. I would think. Awesome. And of course, I am no I am no Victor I I can't write riffs like that. But you know. Well, you know what? You're doing just fine. <laughs> Thanks. We can't compare ourselves to Vic because there's only one Vic. I mean, it's Vic. Yeah, he's like you know, he's one of those guys where he's just like okay, like look at his catalog. You're like okay, there's nothing more to be said about that. <laughs> exactly. And I just love, especially, you know, 108 is his band that I'm most familiar with. Well, I guess besides the Inside Out EP, but I just love how he kind of combines like rock and roll guitar with hardcore guitar. Those random like guitar, rock and roll guitar licks he would throw in in the 108 songs. I love that stuff. Oh man, I love that too. Actually, speaking of that, and I, I hate to sound like I just keep talking about myself, but New Day Rising recorded some new material as well. Oh, and uh, it's pretty rock and roll, actually. So pretty excited about it. So far, we don't have anyone who's um, who's uh, definitively on board besides Moment of Collapse to put that out. Um, But uh, yeah, but we're working on it and that should be out next year. Oh, that's exciting. See, I was going to ask about that. Yeah, it was it's I sort of see it like it sounds like it obviously sounds like New Day Rising because Chris is the is the main you know, like the, the voice is the same. Um, I would say better, of course. Um, but I would say musically it's, um, it's a lot more ambitious. Uh, musically we rely on the sort of more rock and roll thing than we do the classic metal thing. So I would say it's sort of like really heavy rock and roll. I love that. I lo- I love when bands do that. Like think every time I die or the third Colesque album or uh, let's see. Right. Yeah. Wow. I, I can't think of others off the top of my head but right now, but I think that's a really good mix. It, you know, there's there's something about that, the upbeat thing with a heavier riff that could be, it, it could have like a slower beat that would turn into a mosh beat or whatever. But the fact that it's sort of like this upbeat you know, on the drums that to me that that has a lot more energy than, than just a, a straight up sort of mosh part after mosh part after mosh part, you know, like which always bores me, but yeah, it, it depends. It depends what my mood is. You know, sometimes I want to be assailed with mosh parts and sometimes I want something more rocking. It just depends. Fair enough. Yeah. Well, uh, let's see. Is there anything else coming up that we didn't cover that you want to plug? Uh, you know, Omanasta record, the unsufferable record, um, next year, New Day Rising. Um, and actually there's a um an a spread of, another spread of the disease record that's gonna be coming out that's essentially all of our EPs and some live stuff all on one record. So yeah, that's it. Awesome. Well, it sounds like there's a lot of good stuff to look forward to. Yeah, you know, I'm trying, man. You know, and like I'm I'm almost fifty, but I'm 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 putting out and involved in music more now than I ever was in my life. It's pretty great. Yeah, you know what? Same here. I'm doing more now at forty one than I've done possibly well, probably ever in my life, and I'm here for it because there was always something holding me holding me back before. The band didn't quite fit, the band would break up and I wouldn't get to do it. I was too strung out. I was too messed up to hold it together or to get anything done, distracted by work. But everything is finally lined up where I can be working on stuff all the time. And the stuff that I'm working on, I'm just the most happy with it, I guess, from anything I've ever done. So it's uh, it's a great place to be. Speaking of, what is that band that you just started that you just... Uh... It is uh, the Darling Fire. Oh, right. Of course, I knew that. Yes, uh, I. Uh, they're on iodine recordings. 
I joined as their new bass player a couple months ago. Yes. You know what? I'm sorry. I actually did see that on Instagram. I Yep. No, that's okay. I'm I'm here to remind you and everyone <laughs> to check out the dark. No, I'm just kidding. No, but it's a it's a recent development. Uh, me and the new drummer John just played our first shows with the band. Uh, we just got home last week. Went fantastic. Working on new stuff. Uh, very very excited about it. Oh, that's so great. I love it. You know, I lo- I actually it's infectious that you are super stoked on music. Because I'm super stoked on, I would say, art and music. To me, like I, they, they are sort of like you know different sides of the same coin, you know. So, yeah, stoked. Yeah, like when you're talking about, uh, you know, moving to Montreal, uh, finishing your degree, all the bands you're working on, and you know the fact that you said you're almost fifty. You are fifty. Yep. Yeah. So I can relate to that in the sense that, like, you know, there's been a lot of times in my life where I thought all the good times were over, right? I'm just going to work. I'm not happy. I'm not in a band. I've lost touch with my artistic side and I'm I'm plugged back into it now more than I've ever been. And it sounds like you are too. And you know what? I'm happy for you. And I, I'm just saying all this because, hey, I want to let everybody know it's never too late. It's never too late to jump back in. As long as you have the willingness, uh, it'll circle back around. Uh, absolutely. No doubt about it. So there you go. That's it. We are out of time. But don't fret, because I'm here every single week. Did you know, Dave, we have been a weekly podcast every week since we premiered way back in 2020? You know what? That's actually amazing. I would say that I'm not a big podcast person, but I've listened to probably about maybe nine or 10 of your podcasts because of the person that's been on. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. I want to listen to this. And it's amazing to me that you've done that many. Like That is crazy. It's crazy to me too, because I didn't expect it to be a full-time thing. And it was just going to be once in a while whenever we could get a good guest or, but, but hey, here we are. I feel like these kinds of things don't happen when you plan them, right? It's like a happy mistake. And you know what? There's something about um, listening to this sort of thing inside you that says, you know what? Just going to do it anyway. Just go for it. See what happens. You know, if you're open, good things happen. Exactly. So that's it. We're out of time. We are out of time. But once again, I'm back next week. So we are going to end the show with false gods by omanastra and i'm back next week with a new episode and a new guest so thanks everybody for listening and until next time it's our nation, it's our